church in Amarillo. So I said this last time, it's kind of like I'm, I'm the cousin you never knew you had in some senses. So if you get a random um, birthday card or Christmas card from me and my wife, just know that's who, who's, who's sending you that card. So um, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, it's, it's like we're, it's not, it doesn't feel like we're visiting. It feels like we're with family. So I'm, it's such a blessing. And um, today we're going to be continuing your study in the book of Second Samuel. We're going to be looking at Second Samuel chapter 11. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to pray and then we'll dive into God's word together. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we, we thank you. Um, we thank you that every time we come to the Bible, your holy, um, perfect, and errant word, um, you speak to your people because the Bible is your word. And it's always relevant, no matter what season we're in, no matter what's going on, whether it's, um, you know, 2021, whether it's a time of global pa- a global pandemic, Father, your word always has something to say to us. So today, Father, I ask that by your Spirit's power, um, we'll, we would be encouraged where we need to be encouraged, we'll be convicted where we need to be convicted. Um, but most of all, Lord, I just ask that we would fall more in love with your Son, Jesus Christ. Um, any words that are not about your son, anything that doesn't exalt uh, Christ, I pray that that would just fall flat to the ground, and only that which would make you look amazing, that which would exalt your son, may that be what we remember today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, this past week, I've actually been doing a lot of reflection. I've had some time, we went on vacation, so I've been doing a lot of reflection, and I've come to the realization that I really like watching YouTube videos. Um, Seriously, I think my wife would agree with this, but I would rather sit in my kitchen with my phone out watching YouTube videos than actually watching live television on our our big screen TV in the living room. And I could really watch um, any type of YouTube video about the most random type of thing, right? I watch YouTube videos about theology, about sports, about music. Um, Even this past week, I was showing my, my wife this YouTube video about an alligator getting its tooth pulled. Um, yeah, I, I, it's really cool. I could send you the link later if you'd like to watch it. But I, I just really like watching uh, YouTube videos. And, and one thing that I've noticed as I'm scrolling through YouTube is that one of the most popular types of videos that are out there are those uh, where are they now videos that, that highlight the lives of, of former celebrities and athletes. And, and the reason why I think so many people like watching these types of videos is that they give a realistic depiction of these people's lives. Uh, They give a realistic, brief history of these people's rise to fame, and then unfortunately, most of the time, they collapse into debt, uh, divorce, or or even uh, addiction. And and if if you pay attention to these types of videos, one thing that all these stories have in common is that it was one specific event or, or action that began the downward spiral into trouble for these people's lives. And, and, and for me, what's so, what's so heartbreaking and, and what's so crazy to think is that it took only one, one, one event, one party, one, um, one night stand, one something, one horrible decision to completely change the trajectory of these people's lives forever. It changed it for the worse. And the reason why I bring that up is that as we come to our passage today, Second Samuel chapter 11, what we're going to see is the event or the series of actions that completely changed the trajectory of King David's life uh, for the worse. Um, I I could even say it completely destroyed his life in some senses. 
Uh, but before we move on, let's just kind of just recap of what's gone on so far. So for the past couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Jeremy told me that you guys have been uh, studying the life of King David in, in the book of First and Second Samuel, and, and you've seen how God chose David to be king over his people Israel. And, and if you even read just the past couple of chapters, you'll see that God had truly blessed David in so many different types of ways. I mean, he, he took the throne from Saul and gave it to David. Uh, he promised in chapter 7 that, that David's dynasty or his, or his family line would rule forever. And even he gave David political and military success so that he could expand the borders of the kingdom. And, and really, this is like the pinnacle or the height of David's career, the, the height of his success. Uh, the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. And even he, the Bible gives us David as a, as a model for imitation. But what we see is that it's at the height of David's success that he falls into the deepest and most horrible types of sin. See, the passage shows us that, that sin was actually the main factor in this event that led to adultery, um, later on murder, um, sexual assault, and even political chaos uh, in the country. And, and, and what, what's so heartbreaking for me is that the story, I think the author puts this story in the autobiography, the, bi- the biography of David's life, because he wants to show us that sin ruins everything. Sin completely ruined David's life. And so the main idea, or the big idea of our sermon or the text today is, is simple. It's this. Learn from David's mistake. Our big idea is learn from David's mistake. See, our passage is challenging us to look at David's life and take seriously the warning that his mistakes give us about sin. And when we study this chapter, what we're going to see is that David's mistakes teach us three important facts about sin. David's mistakes teach us that sin is serious. Sin makes us crazy. And that sin hurts others. Sin is serious. Sin makes us crazy. And sin hurts others. So let's start out in this chapter. Let's look at that first one. The first fact that we learn from David's mistakes is that sin is serious. And we see that in the very first portion of this story. So let's read the first portion together. Um, Let me read it to you guys. It's verses 1 through 5. So let's start at verse 1. Verse 1 says this. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of, of the king's house that he saw from a roof from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful and David sent and inquired about the woman and one said is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Elam the wife of Uriah the Hittite so David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her now she had been purifying herself from uh, her uncleanliness Then she returned home to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. 
So in this first part of the story, we see the beginning of how David completely destroyed his life, of how sin completely ruined David's life. But, but if we look closer, we see that the author is narrating the story in such a way that he's highlighting mostly the, the actions that David took in his sin. Right? He doesn't give us too many details, but he gives us a really clear picture of what David did. Let's just reflect on that real quick. So look at, look at the verbs or the actions that David was doing in this story. So David saw, right? He saw Bathsheba bathing, right? He inquired. He, he found out that she was off limits because she was married. But, but that didn't really matter because then he, he took, right? He slept with her and then she conceived a child. Now, now these actions or these verbs, they, they stick out to us and they, and they sound so familiar because they're the same types of actions or verbs that were used in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve uh, sinned in the Garden of Eden. Think about that. Eve saw the fruit that it was good. They, they inquired. They, they knew that it was forbidden, but then they took the forbidden fruit. In a sense, what David was doing is that he was just basically living out the same mistakes that his first parents did in the garden. But all of this trouble really started back in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 tells us that uh, during the time when kings would typically go out to war, David decided to stay behind and was just chilling in Jerusalem. Right? Now, now this is a pretty big deal. Think about it. See, as we talked about earlier, God had called David to be king over his people Israel. He had invited David in to come and help forge God's kingdom on earth where God would dwell with his people. But, but instead of taking advantage of that amazing privilege, instead of engaging in that awesome work that God had inviting David into, David decided to be disengaged, and he fell into sin. Uh, basically, you could think of it like this. David fell into sin because he was bored. Now, now we're reading this, and we're talking about this, and you could be thinking in your mind, man, David messed up royally, man. He, he really messed this up. I, I would never do anything like that, right? But, but the temptation's there for you and I as well. You know, David being on top of his roof when he shouldn't have been is the equivalent to us just surfing the internet late at night when no one's looking. See, one of the biggest tactics that the enemy has against us is to make us think that sin is not a big deal. It's to make us idle. It's to make us bored with us engaging in our own uh, temporary desires or wants or kingdoms instead of engaging in the kingdom of God. I mean, I mean, look at David, right? Staying home when he wasn't supposed to seemed harmless. Um, watching a lady bathe seemed harmless until it snowballed, right? Until it ended up with him uh, sleeping with another man's wife and then eventually, as we read later on, having the man murdered. See, for David, it just started with enticing, thinking about the sin, right? He saw it and then he entertained it and then eventually he fell into it, right? And here's the truth. When, when you and I engage into sin, right, when we engage with sin, we're just joining in with David and we're repeating the same cycle that took place all the way back in the garden. We see, we inquire, and we take. That's the thing. Sin was serious back then and sin is serious now. You know, a couple months ago, uh, my wife tested positive for COVID 
And so we had to go straight into lockdown, straight into quarantine for two weeks. But what was so unique about that, though, is that I didn't test positive for COVID. So the CDC called us and said, hey, you need to be quarantined from your wife for the next 10 days. And so we slept in different rooms. We, I didn't get to see her hardly at all. I had to FaceTime her half the time. It was, it was really weird. But, but if I'm being transparent, those 10 days were probably the hardest 10 days when it came to temptation that I've ever faced in my life. All, all the thoughts, all the lust, all the laziness, all of it just seemed to pour in on those 10 days like they never had before for me. Well, why? I was alone. I was bored. And I, I wasn't engaging in, in kingdom type of things like, like prayer and the word and, and things like that. Sin is a very serious deal. And, and we see that in the passage. But, but please, hear me out on this. I, I, I'm not suggesting like a to-do list for you or, or, or something we'd call legalism, right? I, or I'm not just saying, hey, be busy for the sake of being busy. Because as we read in the Bible, God cares more about the heart than just going through the motions. But what, what I pray you guys are seeing in these first couple of verses is that God's kingdom work continues today. And it's the greatest ongoing event in human history. It's the event of God reconciling a broken and messed up people and restoring this broken creation through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. And in His love and in His mercy, He invites you and I to take part of that amazing work. And when you and I see how amazing that is and how much of a privilege that is that God would invite us in to His work of restoration, of His work of the gospel, then we want to engage in that work. And what happens is it doesn't make us perfect, but that keeps us from situations that would lead us into sin. That would lead us into sin, that would keep us away from God and away from His gospel work that's taking place to this day. See, we need to take sin seriously because God's kingdom is serious. So um, let's just take a moment, take a step back, and let's uh, talk about what that means for you and I today. So I got a question for you. What would it look like for you to take sin seriously? What would it look like for you to avoid the deadly idleness that sin, that leads to sin? Now, I think if we want to answer that, that question, I think our passage shows us that the best way to answer it is by just engaging in kingdom work. Remember, I'm, I'm not talking about legalism or a to-do list, or I'm not just talking about being busy for the sake of being busy. But what I am talking about is avoiding sin by engaging in the great work that God has lovingly invited you and I into through the gospel. So for example... You can look to see if there's any opportunities or ministries to serve in here at Redeemer Pampa, right? You can serve with worship, um, gospel communities, kids, um, etc. What, whatever ministries there are that you could see yourself helping spread the gospel, right? Um, you can find other people in the church and set up a discipleship group where you guys pray together and you read the Word. You take those classes that they just offered um, about the meta-narrative of the Bible, right? If you're married, you guys could prioritize family discipleship where you're singing and you're studying God's Word together and you're discipling your kids. If you don't have any kids, how can you uh, set up some time to love your spouse and, and encourage them in their walk with the Lord? Redeemer, I, I really pray that you experience the joy of what it's like to be liberated from the boredom of self 
and get a chance to engage in the amazing kingdom gospel work that God has called you and I into. I, I, I pray that for you guys this morning. But, but the story doesn't stop there. And, and as the story continues, we, we see that the second fact that we learn from David's mistakes is that sin makes us crazy. And we really see that in verses 6 through 13. So let me read verses 6 through 13 with you if you want to follow along. Here's what it says. So after Bathsheba tells David that she's pregnant, uh, so verse 6, So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And, and when Uriah came to David, uh, David asked, asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and, and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, uh, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also and tomorrow, and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem and, and, the, and that day and, and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence, and he drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. So in this next portion of the story, we see that things go from bad to worse for David, right? Um, David sleeps with Bathsheba, gets her pregnant, and instead of coming clean, he begins his descent into spiritual insanity by trying to cover up his failure. And so what, what I want to do real quick is just review or just reflect on his, his um, progress or his, or his attempts to cover up what he did with Bathsheba. So let's start with plan A, right? The text tells us that Plan A for David was that he, he called Uriah in from battle and, you know, he shoots the breeze with him, talks about what's going on, and then he, but then he eventually just lies to him and says, basically, hey, um, you know, you've been working hard, it's been a long war, why don't you just go back home for tonight and, and you know, be with your wife? But, but Uriah is, is, is faithful, right? Because at that point, David's like, you know, if you go home with your wife, nine months from now, if there's a baby no one would really know it's mine, right? But Uriah is faithful. He's faithful to God's uh, kingdom work, and he's faithful to his own soldiers, and he doesn't go to his house at night to be with his wife. Okay, plan A out the window. Okay, cool. Plan B. So plan B is this. Okay, he basically the text shows us that plan B was David was going to have a couple beers with Uriah and, and, and get him drunk. And of course, now, Uriah being drunk, he'll go home, with his, go home to his wife and have a good time. Foolproof. It's going to work, right? Once again, Uriah's just a good dude. Instead of going home to be with his wife, he just passes out on the lawn with David's servants. Both attempts for David to cover up what he did have completely failed. But it's at this point, I think we just need to stop and, and, real, and, reckon, and realize that we can't even recognize David, right? 
David, the man after um, God's own heart and the man who writes about in the Psalms that he loves God's law, has now just broken a majority of the Ten Commandments and he's trying to get other people to sin so that he could cover up his own failure. And even at this point, Uriah looks more like a man after God's own heart than David. Here's the dark truth about sin. Sin makes us spiritually crazy. Because you've got to be crazy to think that it's worth the pain, the stress, the fear, and the disrespect towards others to cover up your sin instead of bringing it out to the light. But, but if we look at this, these verses carefully, I think the one detail that really pops out at us is that David tried to handle his sin in isolation. In isolation, alone. Right? At no point did David go to the prophet Nathan or to the priests or to anyone and talk about what he did. And we can't ignore the danger of what David was doing there. You see, uh, the truth is, is that you and I are more, are more likely to fall into sinful, um, to the insanity of sin when we're isolated. Um, in other words, we are more likely to dig ourselves deeper into sin when no one knows about our struggles, when there's no one in our life that knows about what we're going through. See, in the Bible, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, it talks about how the devil or the enemy is a, is a roaring lion that's looking for who they may devour, who he may devour, right? Do you know how lions hunt their prey? What lions do is they try to get the prey to, to steer off from the pack. They try to isolate them so then they can attack. It's the same thing with the devil, with, with the enemy. What he tries to do to us is he tries to isolate us so that we can fall deeper, we can descend deeper into the insanity of sin or, or so we can dig ourselves deeper into sin. And that's what we're seeing in real time as we read these verses about David. David's just descending deeper and deeper and deeper into sin because he's trying to deal with it in isolation. And, 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 I, and I, you know, in transparency, as, as we're reading this, I know that um, if we're honest with ourselves, the first reaction that we have is something probably like this, is like, yeah, you're, you're right, you know, talking about my sin to other people is a good idea. Man, it, it's just not worth the risk. It makes things way worse if I, if I bring it out into the open. But, but truthfully, that's just a very anti-Christian way of thinking, right? Think about the gospel. The gospel is the message that um, although we are broken and messed up people, God is reconciling us through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. And what He does with all these reconciled people is that He brings them together in something called the church. So if you think about it, um, us as a community, us as a church, are just a bunch of people who are struggling and stumbling towards God together. We're not perfect. So when you purposely seek out accountability, when you intentionally seek out people to have an investment in your lives, to know what you're struggling with, you're taking advantage of one of the greatest blessings that God has given us. See, God gives us people who are also struggling, who can remind us of the truth, who could remind us of the gospel, who could tell you, hey, that's not a good idea. Hey, how are you doing with this struggle? Hey, don't be playing with that sin. That's like playing with fire. God gives us that type of community. It's a blessing. I love how the Puritan preacher uh, 
John Owen summarizes this idea. He says it in one sentence. He says, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. See, we need to learn from David's mistakes and seek out accountability because sin makes us crazy. It makes us do crazy things. So once again, here's another question for you. Who in your life knows about your sin struggle? Who in your life can hold you accountable so that you don't fall deeper and deeper into the insanity of sin? Now, if the answer to that question is no one, I would encourage you to fix that by intentionally seeking out accountability. Look for brothers or sisters in Christ that, that you could share your struggles with and who, and who can remind you of the truth, who have a, a vested interest in your life. Even make it a prayer request and ask God to show you the, uh, the right type of people to have in your circle, the right type of people to have in your accountability group. You know, I think um, the best example I've ever seen of this is a member who used to go to our church back in Philly. Um, he, it was a really cool story. You know, he, he had heard the gospel. He put his faith in Jesus, uh, started attending the church. Um, he was growing. He even uh, started leading like a, a, a gospel community, and he became a really active leader in the church. Um, but what none of us knew is that he was hiding a pretty serious sin that, that, that was growing to the point that it, it probably was going to cost him his marriage. But it wasn't until he revealed that sin to some of the men in his gospel community that not only was he able to start dealing with it, but it actually saved his marriage. And by, when we talked to him about it, he was like, man, it was awkward, it was weird, it, it, it was just really tense at times, but it saved my marriage when I had people who, who knew what I was going through. And as I, now as he's continued on in his life, people actively are checking in with him, saying, how are you doing with that? Redeemer, don't follow David's lead on this. Embrace the blessing of accountability that God has so graciously provided us through the church. Embrace that. Okay, let's finish the story. So we, we move on, and the last thing we see in this last part of the story, the last thing we, we learn from David's mistakes in this last part of the story, is that sin hurts other people. Sin hurts others. And we really see it in, in, these, in these main four verses, verses 14 through 18. Let me read them to you real quick. Starting at verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent, sent it by the hand of Uriah. And in the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of, them, some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. So in this last part of the story, we see that since all of David's attempts to cover up his, his sin with Bathsheba had failed, he had, to, he had to go to his last resort, the nuclear option, right? Uriah had to die. So we read that David sends Uriah back to the battle, basically carrying his own death warrant. 
He sent him with documents that, that told Commander Joab to place Uriah where the fighting was the most fierce so that he would die. And so Uriah obeys, and, and we read that. I mean, so Joab obeys, I'm sorry, and Uriah dies. This is the climax of the story. This is the, the pinnacle of the story where, where we see that David, you know, the man after God's own heart, uh, the one who was extremely blessed by God, has sunk so low, he's become a murderer now. He murdered a man. That's crazy. But, it, but if we really want to see the impact of, we really want to feel the impact of this, we want to see why this is just so horrible, we need to pay attention to verse 17. Remember what verse 17 says. It says this, And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. See, what we're reading in this verse is that in order for Joab to fulfill David's commands, in order for, for it to look good, you know, to cover it up, other people had to die alongside Uriah. What, what the passage is teaching us is that David's sin had a ripple effect. Right? It, it, it touched other people beside himself. Right? It, it, it cost Uriah and all these other innocent soldiers their lives. It made um, General Joab, one of David's best friends, an accomplice to murder. And it even cost Bathsheba her marriage. I think what's so heartbreaking about this chapter is that David's sin not only ruined his life, but it also ruined the lives of all the people he loved and cared about. And I think we need to let that truth really sit in on us this morning. See, the Bible teaches that sin is a plague. Its very nature is to destroy but that destruction doesn't happen in a vacuum. It, 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 it has a ripple effect, and it affects others. See, when we hide our sin, like David, it has ripple effects that touch the lives of everyone around us. It destroys relationships. It breaks hearts. It, it can even cause physical harm towards people. Think of it like this. When, when we try to cover up our sin, it's like we're playing Russian roulette. But we're playing Russian roulette not, with our own, not just with our own lives, but with the lives of all the people we care about as well. That's pretty heavy, right? So what's the, what's the good news here? Well, the good news is actually seen in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. This is what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The hope that we have when dealing with our sins is repentance. If you want to simply define repentance, you can define it like this. It's admitting how we have failed to, to keep God's standards or, or to, to keep God's standard and to just to turn back to God. See, you and I can repent because God in His love and mercy, although we have failed to keep God's standard and we deserve judgment, God in His love and mercy sent His Son Jesus to live the life we could never live, die the death we deserve, and resurrect so that you and I can be made right with God. So that when we repent, we don't have to fear that God's going to pour out His judgment on us because He already poured that out on Jesus. Instead, what He's going to do is He's going to pour out His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, and His sanctifying spirit so that you and I change. See, David could have avoided all this collateral damage. He could have avoided all this death, this pain, this brokenness. He just would have repented. 
sin is so dangerous. But the gospel shows us that our biggest blessing that God has given us is repentance so that we don't have to even think about that thing. We need to learn from David's mistakes and repent because sin hurts those who we care the most deeply about. Let me ask you one last question. What would it look like for you to learn from David's mistakes? What would it look like for you, to, for this text to actually have an impact in the way you live your everyday life? Well, the answer to that question would just be to simply embrace God's gift of repentance. If, if you wouldn't consider yourself religious or Christian, if you're watching this online, you're checking this out, you, you want to know why they bring in random people to give like this talk every Sunday, things like that. Um, if, if, you're just, if, you, if you wouldn't consider yourself religious, I, think the, I believe the answer for you would be to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. It would be to admit how you have fallen short of God's standard and to believe that it's only through Christ's life, death, and resurrection that you could be made right with God and you could experience God's forgiveness. That would be the answer for you. But if you are a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus, the answer is not too different for you. The answer is to keep continually practicing repentance. It's to live a life of repentance. Maybe there is a relationship or other areas of your life where you're feeling the pain of unconfessed sin and you need to bring it out into the light and repent of it. You know, I think the best example I've seen of that um, was a couple years ago when we were living in Philly and, and the pastor of our church confessed sin in front of the entire congregation. Um, you know, during a church meeting, he purposely misquoted some numbers to make it look like there was a ministry that was just really killing it at the time, right? And in my mind, when he was confessing his sin, I was like, yeah, bro, that's not, that's not too big of a deal. Like, I just want to let that slide, you know? But he knew. He knew that unconfessed sin leads to more and more, and eventually it hurts the people he loved. It would hurt the congregation that he loved so dearly. Right? See? It was at, and it, yeah, it was awkward. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, but, but he loved us enough to repent of his sin. To not let it go unchecked. And it's that day is when I learned the value of repentance. See, Redeemer, don't let sin's destructive power not only harm you, but the one. Love God enough, love your marriage enough, love your family enough, love your church enough to repent. If you're battling with sin, if you're hiding sin, I encourage you, repent. Before it hurts someone you care about, before it hurts something else that you, you never intended it to do, but then that's the power of sin. It has ripple effect. So to end this morning, I want to take you um, to the very last couple of verses of the chapter, verses 26 and verse 27. Um, this is what it says. When the, the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and she, and she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. 
See, the chapter ends, and you're going to read about it later on next week and stuff, but, but the chapter ends with, with David believing that he had gotten away with it, that he'd cover up his failure. But God knew. And that's what's so scary, right? Sin's reach is so powerful that it even affected the man after God's own heart. One of the basic truths the Bible teaches us is that our biggest problem is not where you live, not how much money you're making, not how good of a vacation you can have every two weeks or so. The biggest problem you, you have is sin. Sin is our biggest problem. But, but remember the promise that God made to David in chapter 7, that it would be through David's son that God's kingdom would come and there'd be an end to the reign of sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's because of David's better son, Jesus, that it's because he lived the life we could never live, he died the death we deserve, and he resurrected and ascended, that we're made right with God, and sin no longer owns us. And this is all for all, this is for anybody who comes with the empty hands of faith and repents and puts their trust in David's better son, Jesus. So once again, if you wouldn't consider yourself religious, please hear me on this. I, I'm, I'm encouraging you. Repent and put your faith in Jesus. Don't let sin own you. But if you are a believer, I just want to encourage you. You can, you can put sin to death. Sin no longer defines you. Your past no longer defines you. You can fight sin because Jesus already defeated it at the cross. It's already a won battle. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that uh, your word uh, doesn't pull any punches. It, it talks about serious things. Um, talks about struggle. It talks about heartbreak. And Father, I learned that if I pray that, I, that if there's anything we can learn from this from this account of David's life, that that sin is serious. That sin is dangerous. Father, I ask that as we move forward to reflect and worship, um, that 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 we would praise you and worship you because you have defeated sin, that sin no longer owns us. By your Spirit's power, I pray that you would reveal sin in our hearts, struggles that we're dealing with, and that we would confess it and repent of it and, and experience the power of your love and forgiveness, that your Spirit would empower us to seek out people to have a stake in our lives that we can share our sin struggles to and keep us accountable. Father, I pray that your Spirit would, would help remind us that Covering up sin is not worth the pain and destruction that it would have, not just for our lives, but for those who are around us and those who we love. Father, I, hope, I pray that this kind of heavy topic would, would lead us to just love your son more, would lead us to see how much we need Jesus, but how amazing it is that Jesus would, would come and die for us, and how sin no longer has um, control or a say over our lives. Thank you for your word, and thank you, Father, for, for sending your son to fix the problem we could never fix. It's in your name I pray. Amen.